see you got the updates, Ken. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I, I knew there was something I was supposed to tell you this morning. I just couldn't remember. I forgot you weren't here last Sunday. That's all right. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Good disciples, I tell you. Good disciples. <laughs> Open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, as you remember, we have been going over the, uh, just the, uh, the, the, the information, but more than information, the teaching of Paul to the church. Ephesians chapter 5, he says, if you're going to be a Christian, you need to walk like a Christian. If you're, going to, if you're going to say you're a believer, then you need to act like a believer. You will know them by their fruits. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. That if the world hates you because of Jesus, then I think you're on the right track. But if the world hates Jesus because of you, you need to take a second look. Because there are things that each one of us need to and should and be able to portray because we walk the talk. Walk in a way is what uh, Paul started off to say, be imitators of God. And, And to be honest with you, you know, a person, a genuine, redeemed believer, one that is filled with the Holy Spirit, doesn't necessarily need to be reminded, hey, man, lighten up. You should be already doing this. A redeemed believer should be desiring, how do I do this? And I believe that one of the reasons that you keep coming back here is, of course, not for the popularity of the pastor. Of course, not because of the music. Of course, not because of what any other thing that you that other people go to church for is because you desire to know more. Is is that what the Bible really says? And one of the things that that you may have experienced, or maybe not, but one of the things I've heard other people say before is that I never seen it like that before. You know. And one of the things that we're going to talk about today is wives submit to your husbands. Okay, now, and I just want to go up front right now and say that the world has got it all wrong. They have it all wrong. They talk bad about Paul. He's a chauvinist. They talk bad about the church. They're misogynist. They talk bad about Jesus because all they want to do is subject women. No. And I'm glad that you're here today to hear this message because I want to at least clarify. And, And, you know, and here's the interesting thing. For the most part, and I say for the most part, Women want to know, okay, well, how is that done? What if, you know, he tells me to do something that, like to rob a bank? Well, first of all, he's not going to tell you that. Uh, you know, what if, and, and all these what ifs, hypotheticals. I don't work in hypotheticals. I go straight to the Word of God. And, and it's interesting because as we've been going through the book of Ephesians, Paul's already laid out the doctrine. He says, look, you were chosen from the beginning of the foundations of the world. You're already set. You're there. You're in. Okay, you were dead in your trespasses, chapter two. You were dead in your trespasses. Now you're saved by grace through faith, not by works. It's by the grace of God. And so therefore, here's how you need to respond and how you need to walk. And the reason most people come to a place of worship and a place of instruction is to, what does the Bible say? How How do I apply this to my life? Especially in today's culture. I mean, I don't know if you've heard of this term, of, it's called the Great Reset. You know, and, and it's been going on for the last few years now, the Great Reset. The Great Reset started probably back in 2019 and 2020 just made it a very good opportunity to be able to insert this Great Reset into our economy. The Great Reset is being pushed by a group of people called the World Economic Forum, WEF. You'll probably hear a little bit more about them. 
And what they're trying to do is make this one world order. There are over a thousand corporations worldwide that, that are members of this World Economic Forum. And as a member of any organization that you might belong to, let's say, for instance, the golf course, as any other, you have to pay your dues. And with those dues, you really don't get nothing except for free access. You get access, you get, well, you know, you get the, the, your, the grass cut, you're able to use the, the, the facilities there, you're able to, you know, because it's only for members. And this World Economic Forum and all its members have access to the world economics. And so a lot of the things, and, and you know, beloved, here's one thing. This is a very elite and special group of people. And guess what? Like George Carlin would say, you're not in it. <laughs> I'm not. None of us. Only those that have this ability to make worldwide decisions are in this economic group. Now, we, we know this already as a system of what the Antichrist will be you know, bringing. We already know this that has been prophesied. And so we already know that all this world economics, and it's going not back to the dollar, not to the yen, not to the euro, but it's going to be electronic to be able to, able to, to, to control things. But, but in this great, great reset, and I'm not here to talk to you about the economics, you know, because here's the thing. Well, first of all, about this great reset, they have a book. They have a playbook. And the, the director of the... World Economic Forum, he stands there with this book, and it's called The Great Reset. And he stands there and says, The Great Reset? He says, That's a conspiracy theory. No, you guys, you know what, are you going to believe me or are you going to believe your lying eyes? There is, no, there is no Great Reset. We're not trying to do any reset. And they tell you as they're doing it that you're wrong, that you're, you're not seeing what you're seeing. And, and I say that because in the whole process of this, they're not just trying to reset everything to the year zero in economics, but in everything else. All the uprising that you've been seeing, all the, 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 the work on, on family, on marriages, on you know, the sexual orientation, all these things, all the social issues that are going on. You know, one group can protest and cause all kinds of violence because, well, that's part of the, you know, we're trying to tear down, deconstruct. Another group says, no, we can't leave it like that. Now, those guys are terrorists. And so you have, you have this unbalance. And they tell you straight to your face what they're going to do. Then they say, you're lying. We're not doing that. The same thing is happening in schools and in homes and in churches all around the world. As I've said before, the schools are now resetting a lot of their uh, educational curriculum. The curriculum now includes this transgender, homosexuality, how to do this safely. Marriage is no longer between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. Marriage is now between anything and anyone. You know, there was a, there was a time here a while back, this is years ago now, where, where Johnny had two daddies. And that was a book they were promoting in our grade schools. And this is years ago now, and here we are at this point in time where they've reset it all up, they're inserting all these things, and then they're calling you a liar for saying that we're not doing that, that's not what we're doing, that's somewhere else. And the greatest threat to marriage has always been the world. But you know, this is not something that just happened this last, these last few years. These last few years, we've seen the result of all this that has been taking place from the very beginning. When Adam was created. Let me take you there very quickly. When Adam was created in Genesis chapter, chapter 1. In, in Genesis chapter 1, God is creating everything. He says, it is good. It is good. It is good. 
And then when he saw man, he said, it is not good. First time that God says it is not good is when he created man and he saw them that it, man, it's not good for man to be alone. And so when he created man, he says, I don't think that man should be alone. So what God did, and here's the interesting thing. When you look at this scripture just a little bit closely, God created man out of dirt. Guys, we're dirt people. We're made out of mud. Who, who am I? I heard a woman, I heard a wife say, amen. Yeah. <laughs> I know that dirty old man. No, <laughs> we are. And we're made out of dirt and women are made out of flesh. She see, when God created everything, everything came out of the dirt. But when he created woman, he created woman out of the side of man. He didn't create her out of dirt. He created her out of rib. This is why when the word for man is ish. And when God created Eve, he said, or woman, Eve was her name, but when he created woman, Isha, Adam saw her and says, wait a minute, God just brought me all these animals, told me to name them, asked me if I wanted to have one of these as a pet. I said, no, no, I don't want any, those guys can't help me. So he created this, this Ish out of me, but it's not an Ish, it's not an Ish. Ah, this looks good. I like this. <laughs> exactly. Ish, Isha, that's, exact, that's the total terminology behind the, the Hebrew word. This I like this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, created out of my side to come alongside me so that we can both rule together. That was the intent. That is total submission. Total submission, perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture just burst out in my sight. And, and when we sing that song and you think about what is perfect submission? You see, because submission to us and what the world has tried to tell us is that you become a weakling. I become stronger than you and I put you under my foot. And if that's what it is, a wife needs to submit under my foot. God didn't create woman off your feet. He created you so you can put her under your foot. He didn't create woman from your head. He created woman from your side. Gentlemen. And so when we come to understand the meaning of what God had intended to do, and make it perfect, of course, until Satan came in. And he says, did God really tell you? He tells Eve. And why he, why he focused on Eve, I'll have to let you speak to my wife about that. Because she has some, you know, she, she kind of understands uh, the woman's psyche better than I do. <laughs> you know, there's only two things that a woman need, that uh, everyone needs to know about a woman. Just two things. The problem with those two things is that nobody knows what they are. And uh, it, it's very confusing sometimes, but my wife understands it perfectly. She says, I know why. But anyways, the, the problem with this is that, that when, when the serpent deceived Eve, he said to her, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Did he really say that? And then Eve, her problem was that she got back. She says, well, no, no, God didn't really say that. He said, we, should, we can eat of anything except we can't touch Eat or touch of the one garden, the one fruit in the garden, middle of the garden. But again, God didn't say that either. He just said, don't eat it. He didn't say, don't touch it. He just said, don't eat it. Here's what starts to happen. We get doubt. And then we, we start doubting. We start adding words to scripture, words to God's word. And then we start seeing how sin looks so good. And she saw the fruit and it was pleasing to the eye. And it, it, was, it was going to be able to satisfy the appetite. So she took and gave some to her husband. 
And from that day forward, when God said to the woman, because you have done this, cursed are you. First of all, he said to the livestock, I mean to the serpent, uh, cursed are you above all livestock. Indicating probably that the serpent was some sort of a livestock, maybe had legs, I don't know. And above all beasts of the field, on your belly you should crawl. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is a picture, uh, what they call, of Jesus Christ. And then he says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Many people look at this and say, well, it's the desire, the sexual desire that Eve is to have for her husband. Well, well, it's not necessarily that because she already had that desire. They were already bearing children. God says that now when you bear children, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be painful. It's going to hurt, like, not like before. Before you would just have children, and that's how, that's how it was intended to be. If you ever watch, uh, well, anyways, uh, before I go any further than that, I, I just want to touch on this first. Your desire is not your desire, but your desire is to have control over your husband, to control over the man. If you look in, in chapter four of uh, chapter four of, of Genesis, when Cain and Abel are offering their present, offering their gift to God, Abel, of course, brings the best, the first fruits. And Cain just brought some of what he had. And then in, in, and, uh, he got mad, he got upset. And then in verse 6 of chapter 4, the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, you will, not be, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the, at the door. Its desire, the same word, is for you. It's desire, it's control is for you. And God told Cain, control your desire. Control that sin. Control that, don't let it take over. And so from that point forward, it seems that marriage has had one downfall after another, after another, after another. The problem is, is that from, from that point forward, it's, it's just been the battle of the sexes ever since then. You see, when you are, as Paul has been sharing with us, you walk by the Spirit, you're imitators of God, and when you're filled by the Spirit, when there is a Spirit-filled church, number one, you'll be controlled by the Spirit, not by sin. You will sing music to the Lord. You will be thankful to God, and you will submit to one another. And this is where we're at right now. Paul says, this has been going on for generations. As a matter of fact, one of the things that I come to find out is that this command of Paul gave women such a, an exhilarating, such a, a wonderful purpose in their life. I don't know if you know this, you got to understand that the, uh, the, the, the times of, that Paul was talking about in the New Testament time, women were considered to be little more than servants, just slaves. Many Jewish men used to pray each morning, God, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile, that I'm not a slave, and that I'm not a woman. <laughs> thank you, Lord, that you made me as a man. There was a provision uh, that related to divorce in, in uh, Deuteronomy 24 that what Moses had written down, he says, you know, when, when a man takes a wife, he says, and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eye because he has found some indecency in her then what he can do is he can write her a certificate of divorce, put it in her hand, and send her out on her way, and she departs out of his house. He is no longer responsible for her. She is no longer responding to him, and therefore just write her a divorce, a certificate of divorce. And women were considered to be like, you know, I, 
if you were to buy something, you don't like it, just send it back. And if you were to take something and, and you know, you would use it for a little bit, and, you know, it doesn't please me. There's an indiscre- indiscrescency here, uh, indecency, excuse me, here. And that indecency for the Jewish people as, they, as Jesus' time came along, for that indecency could be anything from, of course, uh, sexual immorality, adultery, to, you know, it was written in the Mishnah that you can actually give your wife away and, and hand her a certificate of divorce if she cooked you a meal that just wasn't good. Like, for instance, and they had a for instance, if she put too much salt in the food, you can divorce her. Or if she talked bad about your parents, her in-laws. You know, women had no control, had no power, had no authority, and they were just used as, as tools. You know, but God hates divorce. God has always hated divorce. God does not like divorce. As a matter of fact, in Malachi chapter 2, Paul says, I, God says, I hate divorce. But why did he allow that to happen in the time of Jesus' day? As a matter of fact, the, in Matthew 19, the Pharisees came up to Jesus and asked him, says, oh, you know, why did Moses give us the ability to write off us, our wives in a certificate of divorce for anything? Didn't, God, didn't Moses say that we can write her off for anything, for any reason? And if you look at that word, if you look, if you, I don't want to go back there, just look it up if you like. Matthew 19, if you look at the statement that the Pharisees made, they basically said the same thing that the serpent said to Eve. Can we really divorce her? Why did Moses say that we can divorce her for anything? And Jesus says, it's not just for anything, because there were two thoughts. One was adultery. You can, Jesus says, if she commits adultery, then you, know, you should divorce her. You know, but, but other than that, God hates divorce. Even though it was Moses that set the law out, and even though it was God hates divorce. Because he knows what divorce does. Now, you think it was bad in the Jewish culture. In the Greek society, women's situations was even worse. You see, because the Greek men were able to have what they were called concubines. Concubines are like girlfriends that you live with. You would have girlfriends. They were kind of like your wife, but they weren't legally yours. And you can have as many as you want. And they, they would, uh, uh, concubines were common. And they, they took the wife's role, in a sense, was simply to bear. Uh, and the wife's role was only to give legitimate children to the lineage. You would marry somebody that was of power, of prominence. And that person, that woman, would give you children that would be your heirs. The concubines would be for fun. And then if you wanted pleasure, then you would hire a prostitute. And so for the Greek men, they had all these prostitutes and concubines and their wives at home. And and women were just, you you don't say anything. They had no recourse for divorce. That was just their lot. And you see, you have to understand what Paul was talking to. And so they they had all the abilities to be able to do whatever they wanted. Now, in the Roman world, it was even worse. See, Greeks and Romans are different. Marriage was a little more than legalized prostitution with with divorce being as easily legally formally. For, uh, for just being able to formally just give her a certificate of divorce. And in the Roman world, if you didn't like your wife, you just divorced her. As a matter of fact, a lot of these wives that they had all these different husbands, they wouldn't count the years. They would say, oh, that was the year that I was married to uh, fulano de tal. I don't know who that is. They say it in Spanish. That was the year I was married to. Oh, yeah, Joe. You know, that was the year I was, you know, and, and so that's how they would count their years. They'd have four, five, six, seven different Wives. This is why Jesus told the women at the well, no, you're right. You don't have one husband. You've had five. Because it was very prominent in the Roman world. And a lot of the Jewish people, especially, the, uh, they, they started to do the same thing. And, and so Paul admonishes believers in Ephesus, look, you know, what, what, what God has given you, he's given you a, a role. Wives and husbands. And it's, this is very interesting. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 5, 
and, and you look at your Bible, and you can't see mine, but I know you can't, I know you can't see what it says, but if you look right here, you'll see that there's a big division right there, right? There's a space there. You can probably see that. And in my Bible, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 starts off with, Wives, submit to your own husbands. And that's where most people start off. Uh, in one of my old Bibles, as a matter of fact, verse 22 started on the next page. And so we lose verse 21. Because the Spirit-filled church, number one, is controlled by the Spirit, sings to God, is thankful, and is submitted to one another. Remember that from last week. It's submitted to one another. And that's where we're going to start off today in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is the whole premise. That is the whole... Uh, before you even start anything in talking about husbands and wives, you start off with submitting to one another. This is, this is not something that is easy for people to do. This is not something that you are programmed to do. This is not something that you learn how to do. But you submit. It's a mutual submission to one another. Number one, a mutual submission to one another. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, and, and what Paul is doing, before when, when the when the... The letters were written when God wrote the Bible. Every book was a complete book. It didn't have chapters and verses. It wasn't until about 400 years after the Bible was put together that people started to block it off in paragraphs, per se. And they would just put it off in paragraphs to be able to, you know, manage it a little bit more. And then from there, they started to add, you know, verses or sections and then titles. And then from there, probably around 1400, they actually started to add verses and chapters. So at the very beginning... God never put chapters and verses in the Bible. So when you read this in the original Greek, in the original writings, it would say, uh, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives submit to your own husbands. People will even come back and look at this verse because it is set off, because it is sometimes on a different page. The actual Greek translation, the actual Greek translations, it doesn't say wives submit to your husbands. Wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's all it says. It doesn't say submit. But when you put it in context of the rest of the scripture, the rest of what Paul is trying to get across, you'll see that it is inferred. And I guess you can make an argument for that. Then why not? Wives aren't supposed to submit to their husbands. But when you put it all into context, here's what he's saying. Wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. And in himself, it's Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to in everything to their husbands. Three verses. Three verses. I say that because from, chapter, from verse 25, from verse 25 on to verse 33, eight verses talks about the guy. There's something significant about this, men. Yes, we focus on wives. You better submit. Yes, we focus on the woman. And very rarely do we ever focus on the man. You see, because if we're looking at this verse in its context, and Paul is saying, submit to one another, I, I submit to you as you are submitting to me as the leader. I submit to you in your area. I, I want the best for you, and I care for you, and I pray for you because you are the most important person in my life at that moment. 
And, and every time people call me and says, you know what? I, and I answer sometimes, and, and a friend of mine picked this up and he says this all the time. Now he calls, hey, am I bothering you? No, no, I'm okay. You, you got anything important to do? Well, right now, the most important person in my life is you. <laughs> because I want to be there for you. What, how can I help you? Please ask me. And, and I will say that without everything else. I will say, how can I help you? Just know when I say that, I am submitting myself to you. Because that's my command. You are a child of God. You are, from the very beginning, you have been saved, and I submit myself to you. In Romans 8, 29, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You are to conform to the likeness of Christ. And I am to help you, you are to help me, become formed into the likeness of Christ. And until that time comes where I am like Jesus Christ, we don't stop. We don't stop and we keep going. We keep pushing. We keep challenging. We keep holding each other accountable as iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. And so we submit to one another. Oh, I tell you so many times this verse has been, this popped up and wives submit to your husbands. People just omit verse 21. We submit to one another. And we are, because we are filled with the Holy Spirit and be filled, Paul says, this is why it takes the filling of the Holy Spirit, not to speak in tongues, not to say all these different types of whatever it is people are saying, these visions and prophetic visions and whatever. It's to help you submit to one another because my pride gets in the way. Amen. Okay. I only heard one person. I guess it's just me and you, brother. (laughs) My pride, our pride gets in the way. We are very prideful people and we don't want people telling us what to do. We don't like the fact that people are in charge or over us in any way. We don't like the fact that, you know, all this stuff is happening in the world, but we need to submit to one another. We need to submit to each other as servants. We submit to the authorities. We submit to the leadership. We submit and and submitting is all a part of us. And one of the arguments my wife likes to use is is when she's talking to people, especially women, about submitting to their husbands. She always asks, are are you working right now? Yeah, I'm working right now. And who do you work for? And and they take some off the gardens. And she's so so who's your boss? Well, his name is, oh, his name. So you have no problem submitting to him. But you have a problem submitting to your husband. Well, yeah, it's because I get paid. Oh, so it's all about the money. Because your husband doesn't pay you. You don't want to submit. How does that make sense? Well, it's, you know, and, and... Really, we submit, to, we submit all the time. But again, only those who have died to sin and are alive in Christ can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Only those who are servants of righteousness are filled with the Holy Spirit. Those who are spiritually minded are filled by the Holy Spirit to go and do the submitting. Beloved, it's difficult. I know. I don't know what's going to happen uh, you know, to most people in church. But I know that Jesus became a criminal. I know that he was an enemy of the state. I know that he was, he was taken to court three times at night and they were all illegal. You don't take, you don't do court at night. You talk about all the illegal things that are going on today. You know, they hated him. They called him names. They accused him of all kinds of things. And Jesus Christ was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. And they crucified him. Not only did they crucify him, but they brutally beat him. They brutally beat him close to death and and they yanked out chunks of his beard and they spit on him and they laughed at him and they called him all kinds of names. If you, if you are able to save everybody else, save yourself. Come on. 
And he submitted to the authorities. Beloved, what are you going to do? My pride is going to rear up. My pride is already, my cackles are already up. I'm already on pins and needles because of what's going on. What am I going to do? You know, what, what if, you know, I, I, you know how, how do I protest? What, what do I do? You submit. Because ultimately, all this is going away. Ultimately, this is all going to be gone. And I've been sharing this with you for so many times now, so many years, that it's, it's upon us. Unfortunately, many people who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior do not maintain their living according to his moral and marital and family laws. And it seems like the church actually hurts more. There are the same amount of divorces in the church as there is in the world. There's the same type of affairs, same type of things that are going on. James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? Another translation says, your desires are fighting against each other. It's what you want. That's what causes quarrels. It's what you want. I want what I want. They want what they want. And there it goes. And conflict in the church, in the home, in marriage, always results from hearts that are directed by the self rather than controlled by the Holy Spirit. This is why Paul says in Philippians 2, 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Submitting to one another is what we are called to do. Submit to one another. And when you get that and you put that up front from the very beginning, then the next part starts to become real simple because not only are the wives supposed to submit to the husbands, husbands, you're to submit to your wives as well. Let me share that with you. First of all, let's talk about wives. Wives, Marital submission to one another on the back of your outline. Wives, be responsive to your husband's sacrificial love. When you are submitting to somebody, they are not putting you under their foot. If you're submitting to your boss, if you're submitting to the, role, the, uh, the laws of the land, if you're submitting to the judge, they are, you are responding to their authority. You're responding to the authority that has been given to them by the state, by whatever the case may be, by, by the employer's that are above you, you're responding to their authority. And so when Paul says, wives, be submissive, he's talking to them, look, now that, now that Christ has been crucified and has liberated you, has given you this freedom, because now there is not just man, women, Greek free, Greek, uh, Jew, uh, slave free. Everybody is equal at the cross. And now you have equality. If you want to do a, a Bible study, a, a word search, look at women in the Bible. Look at every time that a woman is spoken about, about she's always elevated. Always elevated to a, a, a stage or a height of prominence. She is elevated to a point where she is spoken of highly. Eve, Sarah, Rebecca, uh, you know, you go on and on. All these women, even, even, the, uh, even the prostitute, Rahab, you know, she was looked at in a very ugly light. But she's elevated. Not only is she elevated, she's included in the genealogy of Jesus which is really just different. Jesus had women disciples. Again, in that culture, you didn't disciple women. Women were used. They're, 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 you, don't disciple, you won't disciple a donkey, would you? Why would you disciple a woman? Now, you have to think of the, how the Bible elevates women. It doesn't subjugate them. It's this world that tells you. You know, you're, you're, not, believing, you're not believing that Bible, are you? It's against women. No, it's not. So Paul says, look, you, you need to be under your husband's, you need to be under protection, first of all. 
You know, and it is good that somebody protects you. And we're going to see exactly how that happens. So Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His wife and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Paul didn't use the employer. Paul didn't use the government. He says, look, you're, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're submitting to Jesus Christ, aren't you? Men and women. So just in the same manner that you're submitting to Jesus Christ, submit to your husband because he has to submit. It's the husband that I'm going to hold accountable. When Adam and Eve sinned, Eve took the bite, gave some to her husband. She's the one that sinned. And it, of course, you know, he followed along. God came. He didn't come. He knew what happened. Hey, Adam, where are you? He didn't come asking, hey, Eve, where are you? No. Adam, where are you? Where were you? Why weren't you there, Adam? And he took it out on Adam. Now, everybody else got punished as well for their disobedience, the serpent, the woman, and the man. But it was Adam that God was looking for. Husbands, it is God that's going to hold you accountable for your household. Your wife is to submit to you, and therefore you ought to honor her, love her, cherish her, protect her, purify her, cleanse her. Like I said, we'll go through that here in just a bit. But wives, submit to your husbands. And Paul is saying, this is, this is why we do this. It's a matter of submission. You submit to your own husband as to the Lord. Okay, not that he's Jesus or not that he's God, not that he's your Lord. You know, it, it's that he's over you. He's protecting you. And he's caring for you. And he's submitting. You, you submit to him out of reverence to one another. As Paul said in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And you submit. And so when you, we've already gone through Genesis 3.16 in the next part of your outline. And we've talked a little bit about the fall. But when he says, it's not just Paul that he talks to. It's not just Ephesians that he talks to. But he talks to people in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3.18. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Always as is fitting in the Lord. This model of marriage, this model of, of godly marriage has been the model for centuries. And even the non-believer understood this. And they understood their responsibilities. And they understood how it all worked. How, how the wife is to submit to the husband. The husband is to be the, the king, the provider, the, the protector uh, of, the, of the home. And the children are to be obedient. And, and, and I go to work and I, I, I submit to my boss. And my boss is supposed to treat me well. And, and it's supposed to work. But sin gets in the way. It's the desire. And it's always been that way. And it has always been this way from the very beginning. And so we do so. We submit to one another. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Now, Christ doesn't subjugate his church. He doesn't yell at his church. He doesn't make his church do oh, excuse me, what they don't want to do. He doesn't you know, berate his church. He doesn't... You know, as a matter of fact, here's, here's something that really should just blow you away. If you commit the worst, worst crime, think about it, murder, adultery, whatever the case may be. If you do something that, you know, for whatever reason, and you ask God to forgive you, he will say, Jesus Christ is your advocate. That sin, which you committed today and tomorrow and next week and next month, has been forgiven. You are forgiven. 
When a wife sins against her husband. Now again, think about it in whatever fashion you want to think about it. The husband's responsibility is to forgive his wife. As Christ loves the church. Now when you have this dynamic working within a relationship. And you have this working within a husband and wife in the family. Tell me, which wife would not want to submit to that? If you're thinking about it from the worldly perspective. But it's a matter of protection. It's a matter of uh, provision. It's a matter of... Now, now, it doesn't mean that she doesn't say anything. It doesn't mean that she doesn't have any say-so at all. Of course not. We've already discussed that. It's the model of submission. Because in the church, we, you think about the church. We come, we sing, we, we gather together, we have a fellowship time, we, we give, we, we support one another. Think about it in the terms of a church. We'll see that here just a little bit. And number two, the husband. The marital submission to one another. Husbands, be responsible to love your wife. To love your wife sacrificially. To love her sacrificially. I must. It must be. You can't just love her with just the love that the world has. Valentine's Day, bring out some candies and some roses, take her out to dinner, and that's it. It's like the one guy says, you know, I told you when we got married that, we, that I love you. And if I ever change my mind, I'm gonna tell, I'll, I'll let you know. You know so I told you once, that's it. That's not the kind of love that we have. The world has this reciprocal kind of love. The world has a love that says, you know, I love you because. You know, some people are in love with their spouses because of their looks. They look great. And that should be an attraction. I mean, I'm sure. They, they, they complement one another. They are attracted to one another, not only by, by their appearance, but by their intellect, their knowledge, their, their understanding of how things work. And, and most of the time what God does is he gets the opposites. You know, if, if one's an introvert, he gets an extrovert. And opposites always attract. And then they attack. <laughs> You know, and, and so the, the, the point is, is that, you know, it's okay to be opposite. You're supposed to be opposite. You're, you're not whole, you're half. And so when God brings you together, he tells the husbands that, number one, husbands, you, uh, husbands be responsible to love your wife. And how? Number one, it must be sacrificial. It must be sacrificial. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without, uh, one of, oh, you know what? I don't know why I put that verse in there. That he might sanctify her. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I like that verse though, 1 Peter 3. But anyways, going back to verse 25. As Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? Well, he gave himself up for her. He sacrificed for her. He sacrificed and gave his life. This means, husbands, you submit to your wife and not feeding your needs. You submit to her by not thinking about your own pleasures, about your own desires, about your own wants and needs. You sacrifice, you give her sacrificial love by asking, okay, what do I need to do for you? It must be a sacrificial love. Number two, it must be a purifying love. Look at this verse, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present her. The church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or in any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. And the purifying effect, the purifying effect that the husband loves his wife. He nurtures her. He cares for her. He, he, um, he gives her what she needs. 
you know, a lot of times, and, and this, this might be a little bit inappropriate, I guess, because my wife's not here. Or maybe it's okay. You could ask her later. Sometimes I have to say no. And I know that sometimes my wife says, you know, she, she always, always comes back at me. And, and she, she wants to know why. And we have this discussion. Okay, we, we'll call it a discussion. And we have this discussion. <laughs> okay? And there are a lot of times that I can see, you know, how, how, how passionate she is about this. But, you know, not that I'm right or she's wrong. It's just, this is what, this is what I need. Okay, well, this is what I, did, I think we should do. And I understand your point of view, but here's where we ought to go. And then she says, okay, but it's up to you. It's up to you. And most of the time, it's come out okay. Except for, well, most of the time. <laughs> Just kidding. I care for her. Sometimes we have to say no. That is bad for you. Eating, whatever the case may be. Work. You, you know, there's, there's things that we have. And, and, and sometimes, I think at times, men, we're afraid to say what we really believe because it's going to cause an argument. It's going to cause a lot of strife. But you know that that's not right. You cannot be an enabler. You cannot be helping those people. Every time they come over, they take advantage of you. They take your money. They do whatever the case may be. You know, you give them the things that you know they're going to use for some sort of illegal substance or whatever the case may be. You know, your, your boss, and this was my thing all the time, your bosses, you know, who is this guy? Do you want me to go talk to him? I always wanted to fix it. I, and finally, she says, you know, I've, I've had it. And she says, I want to retire. And I says, you know what? It's time for you to retire. Leave your job. And I, I was concerned about her well-being. And she wasn't fully vested. And we didn't know what was going to happen as far as, well, we're not going to get the same amount of money we were getting before. But I'll tell you one thing. It's been three years, and it's been the greatest three years of our life. Our marriage has blossomed. I mean, it is just so neat. I thought it was going to cramp our style. You're home all the time. But, man, it was, it's just beautiful. And that's how marriage should work. Now, I'm not saying that we have it figured out perfectly, but 40 years, it's got to stand for something, right? <laughs> and, and so we we're constantly working at it. And there's, there's times that we're, we're sharing with one another, but the, the whole sacrificial love, the purifying love, number three, it must be a caring love, a love that cares more for her than it does for me. And, and husbands, sometimes, you know, we, we care more about ourselves, our, our personalities, our... You know, our positions at work, what other people are going to think. What's my mom going to think? What's my brother's going to think? You know, what's my friend's going to think? Yeah, forget about what they think. What is Christ going to think? What is God going to think? You want to satisfy somebody? Satisfy God. And you submit to your wife in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Jesus Christ loves his body. What's his body? The church. And he gave his church, his body, many gifts. There are many members with different gifts. And every gift is different. And every one of you have a different gift. But he's blessed you with this gift so that you can edify the body. And when your body is your wife's body, because now you become one. You don't be, you're not two. It's not 50-50. It's 100% and that's it. You bring your half and her half and you make one. Not 50-50. Not 100-100 but one. And that doesn't add up. When you add 50 plus 50, it adds, yeah, it equals one. <laughs> That's the new math. That's God's math in marriage. And you care for, just like you care for your body, and, and the world has so much to tell us about our bodies and, and how we should keep it in shape and the clothes we wear and the things we do. And, and it's the same manner. You know, I'm glad that 
that all of you care about your body because you came dressed nice. Thank you. <laughs> you know, you came looking good. You, know, you look marvelous, every single one of you. And, and he who loves his wife loves himself. When you love your wife, you're basically loving. It's your body. It's your one. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. You see that? You see, you feed yourself, you take care of yourself, and you, and you, you groom yourself. Because you want to look good, you want to feel good, you want to exercise, you want to feel good about all these things, and you want to have joy and, and enjoy life. That's why you love, this is how you submit to your wife. You submit to your wife in a sense of caring for her, of purifying her, sacrificially, just doing whatever it takes. And the last thing I want to share with you, it is an unbreakable love. It is an unbreakable love. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. In the, in the older English, in the new King James Version, or the King James Version, American Standard as well, it says, you shall leave and cleave. You shall cleave. It's like what happens when you're wrapping gifts at Christmas, and you pull out the cellophane tape, big old long piece, and all of a sudden the static electricity goes, right? And you're trying to, man, that's a long piece, and you're trying to take it apart, and all it does is just rip everything apart. It just, ah, just and you throw it away. That's what divorce does to a couple that have cleaved. They've become one. That's cellophane tape. It's a cement. It's a bonding agent that cannot be broken. It's unbreakable. Should not be broken. And when it is broken, it just leaves a mess. That's a good picture of divorce. It just leaves a mess. It's unbreakable. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. And, you know, it's interesting because Jesus Christ said the same thing. One of the, one of the arguments that are out and about right now is that Jesus never talked against homosexuality. Jesus said the same thing. Well, this is why, this is why the two shall become one. This is why a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. I mean, I think that's pretty clear. And the two shall become one flesh. Husband and wife, man and woman. I don't know how much clearer you can get about that, you know what I mean, right? <laughs> but oh, Jesus never talked about homosexuality. Yes, he did. Well, I mean, maybe not. In, so he never talked about a pedophilia either, but, <laughs> you know, you're not going to do that, are you? There's a lot of things Jesus didn't talk about, but you just know that that's just, there it is. It's unbreakable. It's unbreakable. Now, here's what Paul is trying to get across. You see... We need to submit to one another. And, and we get that from God. When you are spirit-filled, when you're filled with the spirit, you know how to submit. It just comes naturally. When you're filled with yourself, oh yeah, all kinds of things happen. You do everything illegal, unethical, immoral. You do things because it pleases you, not the other person. Things happen because you feel justified. Well, I, my, I was wronged. You know, and, and, and somebody disrespected me. And, and therefore, I'm going to lash out and do whatever I can because it was me that they, 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 they disrespected or one of my loved ones. But when you're filled with the Spirit, you are singing, you are giving thanks, and you're submitting to one another. That's the whole point of what Paul was trying to say because it gets a little bit deeper. We start talking about kids. We start talking about work. Then we start talking about the enemy. The lion that is out there is wanting to kill you. And you need to be prepared. You need to have the, the battle uh, armor on. 
You need to have the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. You need to have the sword, which is the word of God. You need to have the shield of faith. You need to have your feet shod in the gospel of peace. You need to be ready, but you can't do that on your own. You're not just going to go out to uh, Walmart and buy a, okay, I want some armor. No, (laughs) it comes with being filled by the spirit. And here's, again, here's what Paul's trying to say. This mystery is profound. He's talking about marriage. He's talking about husbands and wife. And he interjects the church. And he says how the church is subordinate and submitted to Christ. And, this is, and then he says, this is a mystery. It's profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. One of the worst things a wife can do is disrespect her husband in public or just not respect him at all. That is one of the things that causes more divorces than anything else. When a husband feels like he's not, being prote- he's not protecting, he's not caring, he's not, uh, you know, he's not purifying, and he's not sacrificially loving, and he feels that and a lot of the times it's because of disrespect somewhere. Wives, respect. This is how you submit, respect. I'm not saying don't argue. I'm not saying, you know, don't have differing views. But respect. You know what respect is. We care for other people more than we do ourselves. And so when Paul starts this off, you know, walk in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. You don't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. He told us, told us in Ephesians chapter 5, 16. And you won't gratify the desires. The desires of the sinful nature are, are all these things. You know, they're, they're adultery, they're parties, slanders, and all these other things. And, and you won't do that. But when you walk by the Spirit, you're going you're gonna to have love, joy, peace. You know, just those three of the nine. When you walk by the Spirit and you're filled by the Spirit, you have love, joy, peace. Very simple. And, and the problem is that most people want to be, uh, that wanna, they want to walk in the flesh. And the flesh causes all kinds of chaos. And that's what's been going on in our society now. But if you want unity, if you want to be in harmony with one another, in God's original plan, it starts with this basic principle. Submit to one another. The world has it wrong about you, beloved. The world has it wrong about the church. The world has it wrong. They do. And it's It's intentional. And everything that's happening in this world right now is intentional. And they'll look at you and say, you, you know, they'll lie to you. you know, there's no conspiracy here. We, we want to care more for your children. As a matter of fact, we, we love your children as if they were our own. You know what? Let us take care of your children for you. Just drop them off at school and we'll do the taking care of. That's what's happening today. And as a matter of fact, if you can't take care of them the way we think that you should take care of them, then maybe we should just take them away from you. Oh, and by the way, all that money that you're saving and you're using for, for all these other things, you know, like go to church and stuff like that, don't give it to the church. You need to give it back to the schools. And so we're going to freeze your accounts. And as they do this, they're telling you, we're not freezing your accounts. <laughs> you know, you, you can't come to the school board meeting and tell us how to raise your children, to train them, how to teach them. We're going to teach them what we want to go. You know what? You're going to do that. Now you're a terrorist. You're, you're a terrorist in the United States of America, a domestic terrorist, and now the FBI is going to look after you because, you see, we care for the children. You know? And, and you calling us, you know, telling us that we're doing... That, that's all conspiracy. You know, you're lying. This great reset that is happening right before your eyes, it's, it's done. It's set. 
Ready, set, go. Like I was telling my son yesterday, I, said, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to just, you know, I'm not looking for any more signs. I'm just waiting for the trumpet call. <laughs> the trumpet call is coming, and it's coming soon. It's coming fast. Now, is all of this going to take place right away? Well, this, all this just took place in the last two years. And, and the sad thing is that most people don't even know this. They don't tell you those powers to be. These thousand companies that are in this CEF, the world, uh, WEC, I mean, F. They don't, they don't tell you these companies. They don't tell you how they're donating. They don't tell you how they're participating. They don't tell you what's going on behind the scenes. All these things. It's just slowly but surely been going, it's been going and going. And here in the next several years, it'll be full bore. And it's going to be like the frog in the kettle. There was an old saying a long time ago that, you know, if you put a, throw a frog in boiling water, he jumps out. But if you put a frog in a pot of cold water and you turn up the heat incrementally, that frog will acclimate to the water till eventually it just boils itself to death. That's where the church is at today. The heat is being turned up. A lot of churches are starting to buy into this new woke system. And it's all part of the, the system that is going to destroy. Well, well, God, it's already put together. And my responsibility to you is to inform you of that, to make wise decisions. First and foremost, submit yourself to one another. Now, I said earlier, submit to the authorities. Yeah. But when they tell you you can't meet as Christians, then, you know, we, we'll have to break, we'll become enemies of the state. When they tell you that you can't read a Bible, they want to take it away from you, then we become enemies of the state. When they tell you not to be worshiping God, then we become enemies of the state. It's just as simple as that. And let it fall where it falls. You know, if they say that, uh, you know, that, that unless you bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar, we're going to throw you into this flaming fire. And that's where they're at. They're, they're pushing, they're pushing, and they're doing this, and they flaunt it in your face, and they tell you, don't worry about it. You know, it's, it's for your own good. It's for your own protection. It's for your health. It's for your children's health. It's because we care about them and we don't want anybody left behind. We want to be all inclusive. And so therefore, we're going to teach them these social norms. I just heard recently of uh, a lot of these companies that are now borrowing. The banks, are a, lot, a lot of them are, are involved in all this as well. Banks now have what's called something like a FICA score. It's a FICA score. It's a S E G or ESG. That's what it is. ESG. Uh, and it's an ESG score that they have on a lot of these companies that are going to borrow money. E, what, what are you doing with energy? What, how are you going to use this money to, you know, promote energy uh, and safe energy? And, and, you know, how are you going to S, what is your social status? Are you all inclusive? Are you going to be able to, to uh, include everyone in anything and whatever it is that's out there? G, what's your governance like? How are you governing your policies, your, um, your, your bylaws and whatnot? And, all, and this is, again, a criteria. That if you don't follow it, and if you don't score high enough in it, they don't lend you money. That's the system that we're in now. And so, beloved, all I'm saying is that this, even though we're talking about husbands and wife, you have to keep to the standards of the scriptures. It, it, it's, it's the one thing that's going to hold you. And it's difficult, I know. 
See, because 40 years, not only, did, not only did it bring us this far, we have a lot of challenges that we went through. A lot of testimonies that we can share with you guys. But that all has to be for some other day. Let me ask you to stand. It's always difficult speaking about marriage when there's a mixed group of people that some aren't married or, you know, things have happened, uh, divorced or, you know, whatever the case may be. It's always difficult to do that. But the principle is still the same. We submit to one another. And in this case, it's about husbands and wife. Next week, some of you have children, some of you don't. Your, ch- your children are gone. And so you might think that it doesn't pertain to you, but it does. It really does. It all pertains to you. And I, I just want to say for those that, uh, for whatever reason, aren't married or divorced or whatever the case may be, just know this, that God is the one that you look to at all times. And he is the one that fulfills what you need. And he'll give you that desire. He'll give you that desire that you need for your life. And for whatever may have happened, whether it was sinful, whether it was something else, whatever, God is a forgiving God. When you belong to him and you, you, you are his child because he's predestined you, and you've repented, then you just walk your life. You just do as, what you want, as we said this year, a few weeks ago. If you're, if, you're, if you're sanctified, if you're spirit-filled, if you're sanctified, if you're saved, if you're serving, if you're suffering, and if you're focused on God's word, then you, you, the, the spirit will move you to where it is that he wants you to go. You do what, he, you, do what you want because he's going to give you that desire. So keep praying, keep asking, and keep looking, and know that we need to serve one another. Father, we thank you once again. And we, we're here, Lord, first of, all, first of all, to understand that we are to serve one another, to submit to one another. And I, and I pray, God, that we take this message and for husbands and wives, that they apply it to their life and start learning the principles. For those that aren't married, that they understand that submission is still necessary within our, within our society and our culture where we are. That we will submit to the authorities as long as, uh, as, long as we don't become enemies of the state. And as soon as that happens, Lord, we know that we will make the changes and, and we will make the decisions based upon what your word says, not what this government says. And so, Lord, help us to be ready to do so. Thank you once again for your word. Thank you for those that are here and those that are listening online. I pray you bless each one. Thank you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. May the Lord be with you.